0: Well, amen. Take your Bible and turn to John chapter 4. John chapter 4. And as you turn there, we're continuing our uh, message, uh, our series of messages on church impossible. Because every church has some obstacles to its growth and ours has some unique ones. uh, Given the fact that we don't have a property of our own. Uh, We don't have 24-7 signage anywhere. And so it's difficult for people to know exactly where we meet we at a distinct disadvantage um, to the other churches in town, not that there are competition, not at all, um, because probably over 80% of Levelanders uh, stay home each Sunday um, on a given Sunday. And so we're not looking to uh, try to find people in other churches to come to ours, uh, but we want to get the gospel message. We want to get the message of Christ's love to those who need to hear it and those who need to experience it. And so, um, you know, last week we, we mentioned some of these challenges. No 24-7 campus of our own. No signage. We don't have enough money to just go out and pay cash for one. Um, and another challenge that we have that's not unique to us is that most of our friends who don't go to this church probably already go to other churches. Uh, and perhaps we've got some friends that they don't go to church, but they're, they're just not real interested right now. And so uh, how are we, as a church family, going to help our church grow? And this is part of the what seems like an impossible task for us, but with God, all things are possible. And so we're on a new journey this year in 2015. A new journey, every journey, as we talked about last week, has certain rules. You get in the car, you go on a vacation, uh, you want to know where you're going, you have a road map, and you have certain rules that you have to abide by. And so it is with us, and we have three rules for our journey this year as a church family. Rule number one, we pray about the things that we cannot control, Uh, like the campus. Uh, Those are things, that's something we cannot control, so we pray about that. For the things that we can control, here's rule number two, we act on those things. And so we act on some things like we'll talk about today, inviting people to our church, even though we do have those distinct disadvantages, And rule number three is we need everyone's participation, and we need everyone's prayers. Everyone can participate or pray in a certain way, and so we need everyone to be on board in this journey. And I had one request last week, and it was for you to list some ways on your connection card at the bottom of your bulletin how we can reach people who need a church family. And it had some fantastic Uh, very contemplative uh, ideas uh, that you've fed uh, to me. And I want to talk about some of these things today. How we can reach out to those people who need a church family. And perhaps a better question than how can we reach out to people who need a church family would have been this question. Who are the kinds of people that need a church family? What kinds of people? And that's where we turn to John chapter 4, and we read about a certain kind of person, in fact, a number of people at the end of the story, who need the Lord Jesus Christ and need God's family. And so we begin in John chapter 4, verse 6. We read, Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting down beside the well, and it was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. She said, Jesus said to her, give me a drink. Very first thing we learn from verse 7. She was a woman from Samaria. Jesus was a Jew. Uh, I I don't know if you know this, but Samaritans and Jews are different ethnically. Back many years before Jesus uh, was having this conversation with this woman, Uh, the Samaritans were some that had gone off to another land. They were captured, and uh, they intermarried with different kinds of people. And now they're back in the land, and there was a lot of great animosity in Jesus' day between Jews, who saw themselves as sort of full-blooded, and Samaritans, who uh, Jews considered to be half-blooded. One of the lessons that we can learn is that Jesus treated everybody the same. And the people in Leveland, the people in our lives that need a church family, may be different ethnically than us, may be different in background than us. Uh, they may be different in a number of different ways, but it doesn't matter. Jesus loves every single person. And Jesus reached out to this lady. He said, give me a drink. And we read in verse 8, for his disciples had gone away in, uh, into the city to buy food. And so it's just Jesus and this woman at the well. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to to him, Sir, if you have have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep, where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. This gives us a clue as to the kind of people that need a church family. This woman, up to this point, didn't have a clue as to what Jesus was talking about. It was a long way from her village out to the well, and then you have to fill up your buckets of water and carry it all the way back. You know how much water weighs. It's eight pounds a gallon. Water's heavy. You know that. And so here she is. She's filling, has to pump the water herself. She fills up her bucket. She has to walk all the way back. She's just looking for a little bit of relief. She says, give me this water, because this is getting old, coming out to the well to get water all the time. She didn't have a clue about who Jesus was. And that's the kind of person that needs a church family today. People that just don't even know who Jesus is. People who think that the name Jesus is simply a a curse word. They really don't know who the person of Jesus is or what he can do for them. She said, give me this water. Jesus replied to her in verse 16, go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. Here's a woman who's living in sin. She had been from one man to the next. Now on to her fifth man, and it was not her husband. You know, the kind of people that need a church family, the kind of people that Jesus loves and wants to reach out to are people that are living in sin today. Anyone like that in Leveland? Absolutely. Yeah. People living in sin, out of their cluelessness, out of their lack of love for God, they don't know the Lord. How are they supposed to love Him? How are they supposed to obey Him if they don't love Him? People need a church family. People need to know the Lord. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth the woman said to him i know that messiah is coming he who is called christ when he comes he will tell us all things jesus said to her i who speak to you am he this woman who didn't really she didn't know the lord she had heard about him She had heard the prophecies that the Messiah would come someday. But it wasn't until this day that this lady understood that she was speaking to the Messiah. She was speaking to the one who would save God's people from their sins. Who are the kinds of people in our lives that need a church family? It's people who need to meet Jesus. It's people who haven't heard the gospel. They need to understand who Jesus is. Verse 27, then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. The disciples had just come from the town. Did they bring anyone to Jesus? No. The woman who just had her life changed, she went into the town and she was able to bring many people to the Lord. How? Because she knew a bunch of lost people. You know the kind of people that need a church family? It's the people that know other lost people. One of the things I mentioned a few minutes ago was that you and I, we, we really don't know a whole lot of lost people. Statistics say it takes about six months after you become a Christian that most of your friends are now Christians. But here's a woman who, she knew a lot of people who needed to know. And I would say to you and I would say to myself that if we want to get the gospel out into level land, we need to start making an effort because it's the people that we initially reach with, the, reach with the gospel that know a whole score, a whole bunch of lost people. And so we need to do our job. We need to do our task. The kind of people that need a church family are these kinds of people. Verse 31, Meanwhile, the, rab- the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months? Then comes the harvest. Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes. And see that the fields are white for harvest. I believe when Jesus said, lift up your eyes, that he was pointing at the crowds coming to him from the village. The fields are white for harvest. It's right there. These are the people that we need to reach with the gospel. These are the people that need a church family. So let's talk about Level Land for a minute who are the people in leveland that really need a church family let's identify some of them number 1 i would say displaced christians now our focus our goal is to reach people who don't even know the lord but you know i have come to believe that there are a lot of people in leveland who are already believers in the lord but they're not active in church right now some studies have been done as in asking them why uh, why don't you go to church more often 60% of this one study that was done, 60% of people said there was some form of life change in my life. Something happened. I got married, I got divorced, I, got, I moved. Something happened in my life. And there was some type of life change. 50% of those said, I'm just too busy now. You know, I've got a new job, I work on Sundays, whatever it might be. And I'm just too busy. Don't have time for church right now. 28% of those who said there's been some type of life change said, I've moved to a new location. I've moved to a new location. Think about this. This article that I read said this. When a person moves to a new place and feels no motivation to join another church, it's up to us to reach out to them. It's up to us. I believe there there are scores of people in Leveland, families, who've moved to Leveland who all it would take would be a simple invitation You know how many people move to our community each month? Somewhere between families, not people. Somewhere between 40 and 50 families move to Leveland each month. A lot move away, but 40 or 50 new families. Some of these new movers are looking for a church home. But almost every one of these new movers are looking for friends. Every single one of them are looking for friends. Some people have stopped going to church. Some believers have stopped going to church because they're disillusioned. They've grown disillusioned with church. Something went wrong. You know, they don't, they don't like the way the pastor preaches. The music's too loud. The chairs are too hard. Uh, the air conditioner's too low. Something like that. Or there's, there's conflict in the church and that's turned them off. Or someone hurt their feelings. Some type of disillusionment. This article I read again says, if church members hold grudges against each other and don't, don't seek to sustain harmony within the body, people will leave. People leave. It, it just, you can smell it almost. You, people can sense it. And people don't want to be around that. This article also went on to say how we bring disillusioned people back. Now, some of them simply won't come back. Some, some people are, you know, especially those that have issues with authority, they don't want to come back. Hey, I don't, I don't need some preacher telling me how to run my life. I don't want God telling me how to run my life. People like that, they're not going to come back. You know, they may not even be saved. Um, but there are many who will come back. And if there's unresolved church conflict, you've got to fix it. The one condition to getting people who are already Christians to come back is this. It's, it's groundbreaking if they're invited. If you know of Christians who are not going to church, invite them. Invite them to come with you. That is the one thing. The majority of those who don't go to church, who are already believers, have said, I'll come back if someone invites me. And so think about that. Is there somebody in your life that you know who's not a believer, or excuse me, who is a believer, who's not going to church? Could you take the time to invite them? Maybe they'll say no. Maybe they'll say yes. Invite them back. The, the fields are white for harvest. Another group of people in Dovaland, SPC students. Someone had mentioned that on the, one of their cards. SPC students, you know, we already have a, a partnership with the BSM and we, uh, we feed them uh, two times a year, once each semester at the BSM and we bring a little devotional to them and, and many people are blessed. Over 200 students come to that and some faculty members as well come to that, and, and that's, that's a fantastic ministry. Let me ask you this, what else can we do to try to reach out to college students? Can we, could we pick them up? Can we provide transportation to our church? Uh, would you be willing to do something like that? Another group of people that need to be reached High school students and middle school students, we had a couple of people who mentioned uh, them. You know, so many of them have not grown up in church. We take it for granted that every single person over at Loveland High School is just like our kids, growing up in church and and understanding the gospel, understanding who Jesus is. So many of them haven't, so many of them haven't. A few weeks ago, uh, before the Christmas break, I went over to uh, the middle school and I went to FCA. And um, uh, our own Reagan uh, Barrera is one of the leaders at the middle school, and I uh, absolutely uh, love her for that. She, she's, she's helped lead FCA. And, uh, and so I met the coach that was uh, leading the devotional at that point, and bunches of kids were in that science classroom. And I was just sitting at the back, sort of doing my own thing, hanging out, watching, listening, and this one girl who was very talkative as you might imagine a middle school girl might be she said she asked the coach i try to tell my friends about god but they have questions that i can't answer he said what well if god created everything then who created god and i didn't know what to say to this guy who asked that question and the coach looked at me and said pastor you got any help for me <laughs> and I talked a little bit about the role of faith at some point you either believe there's a God or you don't you either have faith or you don't um, but it brought to my mind not only do we need to do a good job of training our students to be equipped to handle conversations with their fellow students, but also how many students at the middle school and the high school really don't have any idea about God. They're agnostic. They're even atheist. They're they're nominal in their faith. How many students can we reach? How how can we reach them? Um, new parents. New parents need to be reached in our community. How can we reach new parents? I'd love to get some ideas uh, from some of y'all, especially some of you moms who y'all understand the burden so much more than us guys of how could a church reach out and minister to some new moms, really anyone who doesn't go to church. You know, the the simple question that you could ask to someone that you even know that you might work with is, hey, do you go to church? They say, no. Would you like to come to mine? It's that simple. It's that simple. Just bring an invitation. And so I'd ask you, if you would, on that connection card today, as I continue to speak just a little bit, on the back of that, I've got another question for you, and it's essentially this question. What are you willing to do? On your bulletin, what are you willing to do? What might you be willing to do? And what I need this time is I need you to make sure you put your name on it. Uh, If you turn that in and you tell me what you're willing to do, because it doesn't do me a whole lot of good if someone, if I get three people who say, I'd be willing to uh, pick up college students, and you don't tell me who you are. Uh, we we can't go forward from there. Uh, but if you'd put your name on that and uh, begin to think about what you'd be willing to do to help people who need a church family, uh, how can we sort of put feet to some of our ideas? Now, let me ask you: What do you think a good church family can provide people? Well, there's three things. Number one. A good church family will have spiritual shepherds. Shepherds protect the sheep. They feed the sheep. They spend their lives for the sheep. Uh, that's what shepherds do. That's what pastors are. That's what, what I'm talking about when I say shepherds. A pastor, his job is to protect the sheep from false doctrine. His job is to feed the sheep, good doctrine. And his job is to spend his life for the sheep. doesn't mean he necessarily becomes a literal martyr and dies. Uh, that could happen in, in uh, God, if God would ever uh, choose to see fit, uh, that's something every pastor should be willing to do. Uh, but a pastor in his daily life has a concern in his heart for God's people. And he spends his whole life pouring himself out into the work that God has called, them, called him to do. A second thing a church family can provide, a good church family, is friends. Is friends. You know, and it's not just friendly people. Not just friendly people. There's a difference between friendliness and friends. Friendliness, I can get at the post office. You ever go to the post office and the nice gentleman there, he's always in a good mood. Even when some of the customers there are sort of grumpy, he's in a great mood. Uh, uh, friendliness, I can get at United Supermarket. You walk out and the person walking your groceries out, you know, they're trained to ask you, How's your day today? Look at the weather. You know, they're trained to talk to you a little bit, and sometimes they struggle trying to find out what exactly to say. Friendliness is something absolutely we should provide, and we do provide. Every time someone comes in the door, it it warms my heart to see us as a church family greeting them. I, I, I like to see that. We need to continue to do that, and every single last one of us needs to do that. But friends is something more. Friendliness is something you... Hi, how you doing? Glad you're here. Bye. And you're done. You're done with that person. Friends, you're not done. Friends, we must learn to become friends with people outside of our circle. And I'm going to address this in more depth in a few weeks. But that's something that God's family can provide. Spiritual shepherds, friends, and most importantly, love. Love. You think about the amount of love that's out there in the community. You know, we, we've got a couple of people that work in the Justice Department, uh, one here in our, our own county and uh, one in, in Lubbock and they see the worst side of humanity. Um, you, the rest of us, we read the police report in the Level End News and it's always interesting to read that and some of the, some of the stuff that goes on but it's really sad. It's sad to read about the alcoholism. It's sad to read about the fights, the literal fights. It's sad to read about the drug abuse. But I want you to think about that on a family basis. What if your family was yelling and screaming at one another and getting into physical fights with one another? What if your family had an issue with alcoholism? What if your family had drug abuse going on? It's just tearing your family apart. What's lacking in families where there's so much attack from Satan? Love. Love. And I would say that there are families, there are individuals out in Loveland. They need to see what a loving church family looks like. They need to experience the kind of healthy, loving, kind, genuine family that's concerned for one another. And so here's a, here's a tough question for us today. If God loves the people of Leveland, and I think that we would all say that He does, and if the people of Leveland need a church family, then why would God bring them to our church? If God wants the people that he loves that are out there without Jesus, if he wants them to be part of a church family, why would he bring them to our church? Part of the answer is he won't if. If there are unresolved conflicts in our church. Unresolved conflict is a cancer that harms the body of Christ. In this series, we're going to be looking at not only the task that was before us, that was last week, and this week, reaching out to those families, and then we're going to bring it closer and closer to home. We're going to talk about what it means to treat people with hospitality, what it means to worship, what it means for our small groups and our friends there, and so on and so on. We're going to bring it closer and closer to home. But you need to understand there's one thing that will derail everything that God wants to do in our church, and that's if there's church conflict, unresolved church conflict. Unresolved conflict is a cancer that harms the body of Christ, the bride of Christ. You know, according to Hebrews 13, 17, unresolved conflict, you know what it does to pastors? It makes a pastor groan. It makes a pastor sigh. It makes a pastor hate ministry. And also, according to that same verse, the pastor's only recourse is to do in advance what he'll do one day. When he stands before the Lord Jesus Christ and the Lord Jesus tells him to give an account for all the souls given to his care, the only recourse a pastor might have is to tell dad about it and have dad deal with it. You see, if, if, if believers harm the bride of Christ, I mean, can you imagine someone harming your bride, guys? Well, you'd, you'd whoop them, wouldn't you? You wouldn't stand for that if someone harmed your bride. But if we as believers harm the bride of Christ by leaving conflict unresolved, what will God do? First Corinthians 11, verse 17 tells us, We read, but in the following instructions, I do not commend you, because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together to church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and I believe it in part. Church at Corinth, they were fighting with one another, divided. They They were not nice to each other. It was ugly. And Paul said, this isn't good. And when you come together and you have the Lord's Supper together, Here's what happens. Verse 27, There, Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. What does it mean to drink the, eat, the, eat the body and drink the blood in an unworthy manner? What does that mean in an unworthy manner? It means while there's unresolved divisions and conflict in the church. If there are unresolved divisions and conflict in the church, and we come together and we partake of the Lord's Supper, we are eating of the bread and drinking of the cup in an unworthy manner. And we are guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. Verse 28, let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For, if, for anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, the body of Christ eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why so many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we have judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined, so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So, question, how do we resolve conflict in the church? Should conflict ever come up? How do we resolve it? Well, I know when I was in kindergarten, And I'd get in and fight with one of my buddies. It'd be done. We'd get in a fight. We'd cry. We'd hug. We'd be buddies again. It seems that we ought to do the same kind of thing in church. How do we resolve unresolved conflict? How do we go about this process? Philippians chapter 4 verse 2. You know what Philippians 4 is? Philippians 4, what chapter is that in the Bible? It's the joy chapter, right? It's the joy chapter. The peace of God which passes all understanding. Be anxious for nothing. If there's anything that's true and noble and holy, think about these things. Wonderful verses. Hallmark puts them on cards, right? I mean, Hallmark's made millions of dollars on that chapter. They have not made a dime on verse 2 of that chapter I entreat Iodia and Syntyche to agree in the Lord who are these people these are two women they were at the church at Philippi and I don't know if they were arguing all the time I don't know if they turned their backs on each other all the time but they were not agreeing in the Lord what does that mean when people agree in the Lord what does it mean Well, it means more than you just make a quick resolution, a quick stab at it. When you agree in the Lord with somebody, it means you sit down, you identify the problems, you tell the truth, you take ownership of your own words and actions that contributed to the conflict, you seek forgiveness, and you pray together. Those people who have done that process, they've agreed in the Lord. It's a big question. Should there ever be church conflict, who is the one who's supposed to initiate that process. Well, if you're the one that caused the conflict, then you must initiate reconciliation by seeking the forgiveness of your brother and sister in Christ. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 23 and 24, so if you're offering your gift at the altar, you're coming to church, and therefore, and there you remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there. Because your worship doesn't mean it. Leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. So, if you've caused the conflict, you have to initiate the reconciliation. Now, Jesus said, if your brother has something against you, who gets to determine in your relationship with other people, whether your brother has something against you. Is it you? No. It's your brother. It's your sister in Christ. It's not yours to decide whether someone else is upset with you. And so the principle of Matthew chapter 5, verse 23 and 24 is this. If someone in the body of Christ is upset with you, you go fix it. You might go, whew, man, that's good. Because I can't think, you know, they're... Uh, I can't think of don't really know if they're upset with me I'm upset with them <laughs> and so I'm out I'm, I'm free I don't have to initiate the process I'm not so fast no according to your Lord if someone has hurt you you must initiate reconciliation by lovingly confronting your brother Matthew 18 verse 15 Jesus said if your brother sins against you Go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. Got it? If you're the one that's been hurt, you go and confront your brother. If you're the one that's hurt someone, you go and seek reconciliation. You see, if Jesus is really our Lord, we must not say, But they, it's me. I must initiate the reconciliation process. If Jesus is my Lord, I must now say, the welfare of my brothers and sisters in Christ is my responsibility. I will go, and I will listen, and I will make things right. See, if our church is a healthy family, God will bring the people that he loves to us in our community. But if our church has unresolved conflict, God won't. God won't. He will, however, deal with those who've harmed his son's bride.